Well, good morning. Good to be with you. Uh, I want to welcome you, especially if this is your very first time. In fact, do we have any first-timers here today? We had a lot last service. Any first? Raise your hand. We got someone there and some over there. Yes, see that hand? Okay, great. Any other over here? Great. Well, welcome. We're really glad you're here with us today. Yeah. And... Uh, Every week we go through a time of uh, teaching here, and so inside your weekend program is a white message note sheet that help you follow along as we, uh, we go into to the Word together. So let me, uh, let me pray, and then we'll jump on in. Father, we're so thankful for what you're doing in our lives. We're thankful for what you're doing in our church. And God, today we come as the next step on this journey together to be part of your movement, to learn what it means to be followers of Jesus in this 21st century. And so, God, we just pray you'd come and meet with us today. Open your word to us. Open our eyes to some new things we've never seen. Remind us of some things that perhaps we once knew but have forgotten, that we would know how to walk with you better. And we pray in your name. Amen. Well, our story starts today with a man named Charlie. Uh, in fact, some of you know him. Uh, his name is uh, Charlie Pace. And he was one of the survivors on Oceanic Flight 815 on uh, ABC's uh, hit TV show, Lost. How many of you got any Lost uh, fans in the house? All right, there we go. Uh, so anyway, uh, so, so Charlie, uh, he's 25 years old, and, and uh, he grew up just loving music. And so when he, he got older, he and his older brother, they, they decided to form a band together named Drive Shaft. And they, they started making music, and like a lot of bands do, they struggled over time, but they finally got their big hit, their big break, and they went crazy. And the money started pouring in, the women started pouring in, the drugs started pouring in, and pretty soon they lost control, and George, uh, Charlie became addicted to heroin. In fact, uh, when he, he boarded that plane that day, the faded flight 815, uh, he, uh, he was actually in the bathroom that day when the turbulence hit because uh, he was in there trying to hide his symptoms from his heroin addiction. And when the turbulence hit, uh, the plane went down, and of course the, the, it crashed on the island, the mysterious island, and that's where they were stayed, and he was one of the survivors. And Charlie's one of those guys that you kind of you love him, you hate him. You know, he, he's, he's a guy that just got a lot of good going on. He does a lot of good things, noble things, but he's got a lot of bad things, stupid things, evil things he does. And he's, he's one of those characters, not a good guy or a bad guy. He's just kind of, you're not really sure how you feel about him. But this particular episode, um, there's a, a, a woman parachutes into the island. Her name is Naomi, and she claims to be from a, a freighter. And uh, this freighter that's been sent by one of the friends of, of someone, of, of one of the survivors, this freighter's looking for the survivors, they're out searching for them. The friend who sent the, the ship, her name is Penny. And so this Naomi who parachutes in says she's from Penny's boat and they have to get word to the freighter of where they're, they're located so they can be rescued. Of course, the only problem is, is that uh, if you watch the show, you know this, that there's a, there's a jamming device that's kind of stopping all radio transmission going out from the, from the island. And so there, someone's going to have to swim out. There's this underground control center that's abandoned uh, off the coast of the, where, where the island that they're on. And it's called the Looking Glass. And so someone's going to have to swim out there. It's going to be a very dangerous thing. Find a way underwater into this abandoned control center. Turn off the jamming device so that they can get rescued. Well, Charlie, he's, you know, it's a very dangerous task, but he's, he decides to do the noble thing. He's a great swimmer, so he decides he's going to swim on out there, and then uh, he takes off, but this buddy Desmond uh, has been having premonitions, weird visions, dreams, or whatever, that Charlie's about to meet his death, and so he, he chases out after him. Well, Charlie gets there first. He goes down inside. He finds a way inside, and it turns out it's not as abandoned as they had thought. It's a dangerous place. 
And so uh, Charlie's now, he's in the, the communications room, and he's beginning to realize that they've been set up. This Naomi who parachuted in, she was not really from Penny's boat. There really was no Penny's boat. There was no freighter. They've, it's a whole thing is a setup. The Naomi is actually one of the others, one of the enemies that they're fighting against. And so he's going to have to get back and warn all his buddies, all his friends, survivors, that this Naomi is a plant. You know, you got to get her out. But about that time, he looks out the window, and there's another one of the enemies, one of the others, his name is Mikhail or Apache, and he's got his hand grenade there outside the porthole window. And he's about to explode it, and sure enough, he explodes it, and then the porthole window blows open, and now water is pouring in. And Charlie doesn't know what to do. He's freaking out. The thing's starting to fill up. And all of a sudden, he realizes in a flash of insight, his only hope of saving Desmond and thus getting the news back to the, the, uh, the island is he's got he's to close off this communication center where he's at so it doesn't take the whole thing down. And so he rushes across and he's, he, he shuts the seals on this thing. And of course, Desmond's confused. He comes around the corner. He sees Charlie doing this. What are you doing? You're killing yourself. He picks up the, the fire extinguisher. He's hitting the window trying to break in. And Charlie frantically, as the, the water's just, just pouring in and coming up, he, he frantically reaches in his pocket, pulls out this marker, writes his, a note on his, on his message, and he goes over to the window and he, he puts his hand up with this message on it that says it's not Penny's boat. You know, we've been set up. Uh, the Naomi, she's a fraud. This is, it's not Penny's boat. And you're wondering, what's going to happen to Charlie? You know, like the water's coming. It's going to take a miracle. You know what I'm saying? You, Charlie, we can't lose Charlie, right? And so your heart's going out to Charlie and, well, let's just watch it.
Poor Charlie. <laughs> Today we're continuing a series that we've been in the last uh, few months. It's called The Way. And I, I always like to stop off, for, for those of you who are brand new with us, just to quickly bring you up to speed. So let me do that real quick. Um, this is a series of study of the life of teaching of the Apostle Paul, who's one of the greatest spiritual leaders of all time. And in this series, um, what we're doing as a church is we're coming alongside of the Apostle Paul and letting him mentor us. And what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to be part of his movement Then the early church was once called the way? And our strategy every week is pretty much the same. We're, we're starting off every week with his letter to the church of Rome which is his, one of his longest, his most famous letter by far. Uh, and, and then we're using that as a gateway, an entry point to jump off into other parts of the Apostle Paul's teaching. Now, if you've been with us in this series, you know that we just recently finished the first mini-series within Romans, and we called it uh, Fallen and Forgiven. Because the Apostle Paul was explaining the story of the human race, how he fell away from God, what God's done through Christ to bring us back and forgive us, so fallen and forgiven. And that was chapters 1 through 4. Now we're heading into chapters 5 through 8, and this mini-series is called Rescued and Restored. It's a story, uh, as Paul continues on, now that we've been rescued by Christ, now that we have this new relationship with God, now that we've been forgiven, what does it look like to follow Jesus? What does it look like to follow him into this new life that he has for us? What does it look like to be restored and become the people that we were created to be? So last week we started off in chapter 5. And if you're here, you know that we, what we did is a kind of an overview of chapter 5. It was a great, we called it vantage point. Where the Apostle Paul kind of stops on this mountain peak of Romans and looks back where we've come from as a race, where we're going, this amazing future we have, where this new relationship we have with God here and now. But uh, I promise you we come back this week and delve in a little bit deeper. And so today we want to come back, and before we move on to chapter 6, I want to talk to you today about uh, a topic that we often think we know a lot about. It was one of Paul's favorite topics, one of the most important topics for us to understand as Christ followers, and yet one I think is often difficult for us to really get our hands around, and that's the love of God. It's something we talk about a lot, but I think we understand very little, uh, as a, uh, really. So there in your note sheet, uh, what we're going to do today, we're going to start off with a section called War and Peace, uh, a quick review, and we're going to walk through the first 11 verses again just to set the stage, and then we're going to come back and talk about what I'm calling God's love, the story behind the story. So, uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to, uh, to, math, or to Romans chapter 5, and we'll start at verse 1. Therefore, since we've been justified by, through faith, in other words, since we've been made right with God, we have this new relationship with God uh, through faith, um, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The war is over. Uh, through whom we've gained access, we've entered this doorway by faith into this grace in which we stand. And so we talked about this last week, that grace is not just where we start our relationship with Jesus, it's where we stand. It's our permanent address or location. And he says, and so we rejoice now in hope of the glory of God. We're excited about this amazing future God has planned for us. But not only so, we also rejoice in our sufferings. Like, really? Uh, huh. Uh, not so much. Um, we rejoice in our suffering. Paul says, not only are we excited about the future when Jesus comes back, but we're, we're actually even rejoicing in the hard times here and now. Well, why? Well, what he's going to say is because the hard times shape us and they make us like Christ. They create character in us. In fact, they help us to really focus on the future. Uh, one of the key teachings of the New Testament is that this life is all about the next life. 
that, uh, that this life is what? 10, 20, 30, 50, 80, 100 years or whatever it is. And then we die. Eternity is forever. And so this life's all about the next life. So one of the things that God does is he uses hard times to help us remember that and to focus on the future so that we live our lives well here and now. We, we invest in the right way. So Paul says, uh, so we rejoice um, in our sufferings because we know that the suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. We're going to be like Jesus. And character produces hope, this clear certainty about the future. And hope doesn't disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he's given us. So when a person first comes to Jesus, one of the first things we realize is that unbelievable as it may seem, that God really loves us, that he, he is pouring out his love in our hearts. And he, this God of the universe, who created, he loves us. And so um, because we've experienced that love here and now, we get excited about the future, what he has planned for us in the next life. In verse 6, he talks more than about this love. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, so remember, we were, we were helpless, hopeless, speechless, doomed and damned, right? So when we were powerless, Christ died for the ungodly, people like you and me. And very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. It happens from time to time. But God demonstrates his own amazing love for us in that while we were sinners or read enemies, while we were against him, we were at war with him, Christ died for us. And since we've been justified now by his blood, through the blood of Christ, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath in the future when he returns? Okay, so we've been made right with him now, so we will be saved much more when he returns. Um, in verse uh, 10, for if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved from his life in the future? And not only is this so, but we also, we're just excited about our new relationship with God. We rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've received this reconciliation. Okay, so there's a passage again. We were, we were once at war with God through Jesus. We've been made right with God. We're no longer at war. We stand in a place called grace. Uh, but the, the key thing that, that, uh, that Paul says is so important is to realize that this whole plan of rescue, this whole plan of restoration really flows out of a heart of love. That that's the story behind the story. This is heart of love. And so that's what we want to investigate today. And there in your note sheet, you have a section called the story behind the story. And, uh, and what we're going to do is uh, I want to make four statements as we go through that that help us key into what Paul wants to teach us here about the love of God. So let's jump in. Number one, the first principle goes like this, that God's love is the story behind the story. And God's love, it is the story behind the story. Like, I don't know, um, have you ever, like, read a book or seen a movie that you, you just really thought you had it nailed? You thought, you thought you understood what was going on. You understood the main characters. You understood the plot. You, you think you know what's going on. And then all of a sudden it gets to the last chapter or the last part of the movie. And all of a sudden there's a twist or a turn you never saw coming. And it changes everything. And, like, you've totally misjudged the characters, right? Like, like if you saw the movie Sixth Sense or something like that, movie like that. Uh, we, we watched a movie in our house a couple months ago. Um, uh, uh, actually, I didn't choose it. 
Um, but, um, but I will, um, I will not mention who did in, uh, just to protect the guilty. Anyway, um, it was a movie called Pride and Prejudice, uh, the 2005 version. Can you see why I would not choose this movie? Um, uh, well, let's just go on. So anyway, it was, uh, it was the 2005 version. How many of you have seen that movie? Has some of you seen the movie? Okay. Okay. How many of you have read the book? Okay, quite a few. Well, well, I'm about to tell the story of this, this Pride and Prejudice. And uh, if, um, if you've not seen the movie or you've not read the book, um, I, I feel, you know, badly about blowing it for you. Um, but not too badly because uh, you've had three years to rent the movie and 200 years to read the book. So, so anyway, so, so, you know, the story, it's basically a love story. You know, you've seen it. And the key, key characters is, is this girl, young girl, a young woman named uh, Elizabeth or Lizzie, uh, and, and this mysterious Mr. Darcy, mysterious Darcy. And so as the movie opens up and Mr. Darcy comes on the stage, I mean, you're just like, you're hating this guy. I mean, he's arrogant. He, is, he, he comes across as self-absorbed. He's you know, just selfish sort of guy. And so Lizzie can't stand him. And you're going, way to go, girl. You go, girl. I mean, this is a bad guy. But as the movie goes on, you realize that there is a story behind the story. That we've misjudged Mr. Darcy. That, that it's not really as it appears. That, that actually, he really does care deeply about Lizzie and her family, and he's kind of gone to great lengths, a great personal sacrifice to try to protect her. And all of a sudden, this begins to dawn on you, and it begins to dawn on Lizzie that, hey, man, we've, we've really misjudged this guy. And then comes that famous line, you know, at the end of the movie, we've been waiting over 200, no, two years, no, two hours. It seemed like, it, <laughs> it just seemed like forever. I'm ready to slip my wrist. It's like, can we just go home? Jesus, can you come? Now would be a good time, whatever. But we finally come to the move point in the movie. It's like this is the best part of the movie. You know, this is the point you've all been waiting for, right? And Mr. Mr. Darcy looks in Lizzie's eyes and says, You have bewitched me, body and soul. I love you. And I wish never to be parted. And all the women pull out the Kleenex. There we go. <laughs> so I was being on my best behavior, trying to be too sarcastic. But anyway. <clears throat> So this is a movie, and so, but all of a sudden, here's what happens when you see a movie like that, is now you've got to rethink the whole movie, don't you? Because you realize you've misjudged this poor Mr. Darcy the whole time. You thought it was this, you thought it was that, and now that, whether it's that night or the next day, you have to go over it in your mind again, and oh, when he said this, it really wasn't that, and it was really, you have to kind of reevaluate everything. Well, in a very real sense, that in chapter five of Romans, it's like the twist that we didn't see coming, in a way. It's like, the Apostle Paul is pulling back the curtains on this cosmic drama that's been going on from the beginning of time and saying to us, we have misunderstood this God that we think we have known so well. It takes a turn. That we, we thought we understand him. He was the God of the Old Testament. He was the God of wrath, right? He's the God of righteousness. He's the God of judgment. And, and we're the sinners. And, we're, and, and we think we got him nailed. And all of a sudden, Paul says, no, there's a story behind the story, the story behind the human race. The heart that rules the universe turns out to be a heart of love. And it forces us to go back and begin to reevaluate everything we've ever believed about God. All the old stories of the Old Testament, for example. Uh, you know, like when you read the Old Testament, it's like, 
And like, if that's all you had, it'd be like there's a soundtrack going on, but you can't quite make out the music. You can't quite make out the words. It's just this tune that's going on. And, and so you see Adam and Eve, and they're being kicked out of the garden, and, and because of their sin, they're being judged. And so you're kind of watching, and there's this soundtrack playing. You can't really make out what the words are. And then you move a little farther, and, and, and God calls this man Abraham to start a new nation, and you can't really get what that's about. And, and, and then you go on, and you, you see Moses and the, this God of thunder just thundering down on the mountain and giving the law of God to the people, a law that they would never be able to live up to in, the, in any way. And you're kind of like, oh, I think we understand this God, you know, he's, we, we, we're kind of reading him a certain way. And then a, a guy comes, uh, like David comes along, and God raises him up to be a shepherd, and he says that one day, that one day that you will have a son, and, and, and he'll be born in the city of David. And, and so we're just, we're trying to make out the words of the song, we can't quite get it. Then the prophet Isaiah comes along and he says, he says that one day there's going to be this mysterious suffering servant who comes and he dies to justify the many and we still can't quite make out the words. And then Jesus finally comes along and Paul is sitting all of a sudden through Jesus, it's like someone turns up the music in the background. And it's like for the first time we hear the music that's been playing since the dawn of time. The words come clear. It turns out it's a love song about a passionate God that loved this race so much that he became a part of it and took all their abuse in order to win it back. And Paul says, that's what it's all about. That's what the story is all about. It's the story behind the story. We've misjudged this God all these years. When he kicked out Adam and Eve, we thought he was just, that was their judgment. Oh, we missed the fact that he was rescuing them from an eternity of eating the fruit, living forever as fallen people. We missed that part. With Abraham, he wasn't just a nation that he was preparing a way to send the rescue man, to send the hero that would come through Abraham and through David. And the suffering servant was talking about, and, but it's all been there, but we've, all, we've kind of missed it. We've not, it's not been clear until Jesus comes it gets turned up. Now here's the interesting thing. Here's a real interesting thing. You know, in the book of Romans, it's not until chapter 5 that Paul mentions this first, the first time the love of God. He never mentions the word love until Romans 5. It's almost like he's been waiting for us to hear it. You know how this is? Like, like if you've ever fallen in love with someone, that one of the most major decisions you have to make is when to tell them, right? When do you say those magic words? What are they? I love you. When do you say that? You know, do you, do you say it two months in? Do you say it six months in? I've known couples that have waited till they're engaged. Many couples will wait a long time. Why? Because they don't want to be misunderstood. When they say, I love you, they want the other person to know it means something. This is not like flavor of the week, flavor of the day. I love you like I love vanilla ice cream, you know? This means something. When I say it, it means I love you. I am bewitched by you, body and soul. I love you. I never want to be parted from you. And so they wait. That couple will wait till the right time until the commitment is in their heart. The other person's ready to receive it. And they understand the momentous power of those words, right? And so it's almost like Paul has been afraid to utter these words and talk to us about the love of God. He's afraid that we'd misunderstand it. Hey, we, had really, we can't really understand it until, first of all, in the first uh, chapters of Romans, he shows us how fallen we are. 
There's nothing good in us, not one thing. We're a race of rebels. We're a race who, and I choose these words carefully, has flipped God off. We are a race of people that not said we're not interested. We're not just a race of people that said, oh, I've got it covered. We're a race that at our core said, I don't need you. Flip God off out of my face. And until we understand who we are as a race and then understand what it cost God to, to bring us back in his son, until we understand those two truths, we don't understand what the word love means. And so Paul has patiently waited for five chapters to lay this out. And now he comes and tells, let me tell you something, the heart that rules the world is a heart of love. And you need to rethink the whole story of the human race. You need to go back over every scene in your mind, in your Old Testament, and know that it was the heart of love that was behind it all. Now that leads to number two. The second principle goes like this. That the highest proof of God's love is the cross. Now, if I were to ask you, how do you know that God loves you? I mean, there's a lot of the way, the answers that we could say. Um, we, since I got here this morning, in fact, um, funny story, has nothing to do with anything. Um, funny story, I, I get here this morning, I've got my sunglasses on, I'm sitting out at the, the out there at that little fire thing, fire thing. And I, I meet this guy there, I introduce myself, and I'm, I'm Mike, and he gives me his name, and he says, yeah, I'm new here, it's my second week. He said, yeah, I used to come to Rocky Peak a long, long time ago. Really, really, yeah. Yeah, there was a different pastor here. Yeah, yeah really, yeah. He said, but I came last week, I came for some other reason, but I, I sat through half the service. This new guy, he's not too bad either. <laughs> I said, yeah, I, I think he's Okay. He said, now, um, what's your, uh, what's, he says, what's that guy's name? He says, his name's Mike. He says, that's funny, that's your name too. I said, yeah, it is. <laughs> so we just keep on talking. After a while, he says, I need to use the restroom. Okay, so he goes, I change chairs. He comes back, he says, why are you wearing that microphone? <laughs> I talk on weekends. <laughs> He's like, really? Oh, and all of a sudden you said that, he's like, oh. <laughs> like, hey, I didn't want to say him before. It's embarrassing, you know, whatever. So anyway, um, now where was I? Gosh, what I, there's a reason for the story. Let's see. Um, example, okay, da, 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 my life, okay. Um, I'm, I'm totally lost now. <laughs> okay, how much does God love you? Uh, let's move on. Point number three. Uh, <laughs> Okay, if I were to ask you how to, oh, I remember how I got there. How, how does God uh, love you? I mean, there's something, like this morning, I get there, it's 8.30, it's beautiful, it's, it's just a warm summer day, the breeze is going through your hair. I mean, it's just like, it's great. You, know, you, you sense the love of God in this creation, don't you? You go over to the ocean, you see the beautiful view, you, the rain comes down, it waters the earth, the crops come up, God takes care of us. He gives us family, he gives us friends, he answers our prayers. There's a million ways that we know that God loves us. But what Paul wants to tell us is the number one way that God demonstrated his love for us is through the cross. Now, if I were to ask you whether someone loved you in your life, let's say someone that you're pretty close with, someone you have a long-term relationship, you know, could be a, a parent, could be a child, could be a husband, could be a wife, could be a friend, and I say, 
do, do you think they love you? Um, you? You could probably say yes, why? You could probably give me a lot of reasons. I give me a lot of reasons. But for most people, if I were to ask you a very close relationship that's been a long time, say, why do you believe they love you? For most of us, our mind would go to at least one or two times where they've done something very sacrificial for us. That's how I know it, right? That, that's how I know it. Like, for example, my dad. When I, when I was growing up, um, it was my junior year of high school, my dad lost his job. Now, he's, he was an electrical engineer. He'd worked for several different uh, companies over his life, but he lost his job. As I recall, he was perhaps in his early 50s, something like that. And, and so he was out of work for six or nine months, something, something like that, and he couldn't find a job anywhere. And so finally, he was forced to consider offers up in Los Angeles. Now, you have to understand this. If you live in San Diego, which is where we live, North San Diego County, anything north of San Clemente is considered Los Angeles, right? <laughs> and you don't go there. That's just the thrill. So this was a big deal. My dad got a job offer up in, in Los Angeles uh, for Hughes Aircraft. And so, um, but now it's ready for my senior year. And, and my dad never talked to me about this. He, I never brought this up to him. He just decided this on his own, that he was not going to move me during my senior year. Uh, I'd grown up with many of these uh, kids that I, uh, all the way from first grade. Uh, I, uh, I was senior class president that year. I had a great job. I was plugged in a good church, good youth group. And he used to say he didn't want to mess up my senior year. And so what he did is we had like a 16-foot travel trailer that was in our back, backyard. You know, it's no refrigeration, uh, no bathroom in it. And he, on his own, he decided what he was going to do. He's going to take that trailer. He was going to pull it up and live in this small little rundown trailer park in Torrance. And he would live up there all week long, every week, so that I could experience my senior year. And then he would fight the traffic on Friday night and drive down and then fight the traffic on Sunday night going back for a whole year so that I could have my senior year. Now, to understand my dad, you've got to understand what a huge thing is. He is totally kind of introverted guy, kind of shy guy, and his family means everything to him. And I can't tell you how painful that year for, I could see it in his face every Sunday when he would, he would leave to go back there, how painful it was to leave his family, to leave his, his, his place, to go up there to a hard and a difficult job. It was a new job with no support. He couldn't even call us on cell phones. He didn't have cell phones. He had, had to go to, you know, walk to a pay phone to, to, to every day coming home, this small, dark little trailer, eat bologna sandwiches, cold sandwiches every night. And he did that for a year just because he wanted me to have my senior year. Now, if you were to ask me before then, do you know, did you feel like growing up your dad loved you? I would have said, absolutely. How do you know? Well, there's a million ways. He comes to all my baseball games. That's the ultimate price a parent pays, right? You know, all my baseball games. He, uh, he, he tells us Bible stories at night. He, he takes us on vacations. He loves spending time with us. He gives me a hug and kiss every night. He gives presents on my birthday and Christmas. There's a million reasons I know my dad loves me. But that year, I got to understand my father's heart for me better than the other year. And, and was it like that, that year he suddenly started loving me? No. He loved me that much all along. It's just I never realized it until that point in time, you see? And that's what Paul is saying here, is that God has loved us this much all along. But we just never realized it until the cross. You know, we started this day, story, uh, started the day with the story of Charlie. And of course, Charlie realizes in that split second that if he doesn't sacrifice his own life, that Desmond will not escape. They both will drown. 
And the infiltration will take place back at the camp and the whole, the whole, the, all the survivors are at, at risk. And so Charlie, in just an incredibly noble move, he, he goes, he shuts the, the, the locks on the door and he sacrifices his own life for the life of his friends. Incredibly noble. And what Paul says is that happens in life. That happens in life. It's amazing. It's noble. I love that last scene. Did you catch it where he's crossing himself? You think that was by accident? <laughs> the writers of Lost? One man gives his life for the, for the island. So he sacrifices himself and he makes the sign of the cross. You think it's by accident? No, it's a very moving sign, a, a, a moving clip. And every time I watch it, I'm moved by it. Why? Because it's, it's the highest and best a human being can do. To give your life for to save another. Remember what Jesus said, no man has a greater love than to lay down his life for his friends. And that's what Charlie did. And Paul says we see that in life. We see that. We see the firemen and the policemen rushing into the Twin Towers on that fateful day to rescue people they didn't even know. We, we read a, paper, a story in the paper about an army private who jumps on a hand grenade in the midst of a, a battle in order to save his colleagues. We read about some heroic deed. A man rushes out in front of an oncoming bus and swoops up a little, swoop up a, a little four-year-old girl and dies in the process but saves her life. And we read these stories and they move us. Why? Because it's the highest and best. It's the best human love can do. And Paul says, okay, you want to understand the love of God? He says, let's take it the best, someone dying for their friends, the most noble, and now let's jack it up a bit. Let's take the love of God and let's magnify it because what God did is he didn't die for his friends. He died for his enemies. And this is why it's taken such a long time to talk about the love of God because now he's laying it out for us in Romans 3. Do you remember that? There is no one good. There is no one righteous. Yeah? We are the rebellious race. We are the race that's flipped him off. This doesn't happen. There are no stories like this in the, in the history of the world before Christ of someone dying for their enemies. There's no stories of a God who dies for his enemies. It doesn't happen. Saddam Hussein doesn't die for George Bush or vice versa. It doesn't happen. Hamas doesn't die for Israel or Israel for Hamas. Rival gangs don't die. That doesn't happen in the history of the world. The most noble thing a human being can do is die for their friends. But into the human race comes a God who loves the race so passionately that he allows us to become one of us and to destroy us or allows himself to be destroyed by us. And Paul says, that's a love we've never seen. There's nothing like it. You search the religions of the world there is no story like that. Why? Because it was beyond our imagination to imagine a God that good, you see? And Paul says that is the story behind the story. Look what he puts it in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. Let's pick it up at verse 7. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us while we were sinners. Later he'll use the word enemies. Christ died for us. 
And now it's like we got to go back and we got to review the whole film clip of the human race. We got to rethink it. You know, even as Christians, we'll say this the God of the Old Testament was a God of wrath, the God of the New Testament is a God of love. And Paul says, time out. No, no, no. It may have looked like a God of wrath. But can I tell you something? The God of the Old Testament, there's a story behind the story. And yes, he was and is a God of wrath. But there is something bigger. There's a story behind the story, and that's the love of God. Powerful. Okay, now, this is important for us to get clear on as followers of Jesus, because if we don't understand this, we are going to measure God's love for us in the wrong way. Like, the way we tend to measure God's love is how our life is going, right? That's how we measure it. And so, uh, this is hard, because as followers of Jesus, there are times we pray, we ask God to do things, and he doesn't do things, and then we, we think he doesn't love us, right? So, for example, maybe you're a single adult, and you've been praying for years that God would bring you a spouse, and after 15 years of prayer, it still hasn't happened. You're like, God, do you love me? Uh, uh, maybe you, you have uh, a, a, a child, a little boy, a little girl that got really sick in the hospital, and you prayed and prayed for God to heal him or her, and they weren't healed, and they died. You've lost your job. You're on the verge of losing your house, and you're wondering, does God love me? And see, what, ha- what happens is we tend to measure God's love by what's happening in our life right now. And what Paul wants us to understand, when it comes to measuring the heart of God, you've got to measure his love for you a different way. You've got to measure it by the cross. And even there, we often have missed it. You know, I don't know if you ever thought of this, but what God did is he gave his highest and best. I'm not sure we can really get our hands around this or really understand this, but let's put it this way. Let's say that someone broke in here today they kidnapped me. They took me away. They're just crazies, you know? And they're like, hey, you're a pastor. You believe in Jesus? Yes, I do. Okay, well, well we are gonna, we're gonna going to, uh, we're going to kill you because we, you know, we, we, we don't, you know, we're of this religion or whatever. We're going to kill you. In fact, we're going to crucify you. Oh, but wait, we're going to give you a choice. We can either crucify you or you can crucify one of your daughters. Your choice. Are you kidding me? That's not a choice. Like, I mean, how long would you think about that? And it's just like, that's not, that's not even a choice. It's like, there's, it's like there's no choice there. It's like, I just, where do I sign the dotted line before you change your mind? Take me, right? I mean, it's just a, I don't like, well, let me think. She's got some good aspects and some bad aspects. <laughs> there is, uh, on, the, on the positive side of the ledger, you know, but then, but then there's the negatives, you know, gee, you know, and I, I, no, you don't even think about it, right. Have you ever thought of this? That what the Father, what God the Father did is he gave up his son, he would have much rather given up his own life. You see? Which is harder as a parent? To give up your life or the life of your child? If you're any, any kind of a parent at all, it's like, it's no question. And see, he paid the ultimate price to bring us back. And Paul says that's how you gotta measure it. Now, number three. This is so great. I don't have a timer back there. It's kind of off or something. I just love that when that happens. <laughs> no roast in the oven, is there? Nothing to, okay, okay. okay, number three. 
Here we go. Third, the third thing that comes out of this passage is that growing in God's love is a lifelong lesson. Uh, growing, this is one of the most important ways for us to grow as followers of Jesus, that we would continually grow um, in understanding the depth of his love for us. You know, when we first come to Jesus, the first thing we get is his love for us. In fact, look at your Bibles in Romans 5.5. 5. This is what Paul says. He says that this hope doesn't disappoint us because God has poured out. He just like turned on the nozzle full bore. He's poured out the love of God in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And so when we first come to Jesus, this is what happens. We begin to understand God's love for us. But here's what I'm saying is that the story doesn't end there. This love story goes on and on. It's an ongoing story and you and I have to be growing with it. We have to be ever growing in the understanding of God's love. And so the Apostle Paul, in the book of Ephesians, he, he's praying for these new believers there. And I want you to turn there. Take your Bibles and keep your finger in Romans 5. But go to Ephesians 3, so to the right in your Bibles. Ephesians chapter 3. And we're going to see what Paul is praying for for them. I got a timer back, you're saved. Okay, chapter three, uh, Ephesians. Verse 16, Paul is praying. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, out of God's glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit, through the Holy Spirit, in your inner being. Okay, so he says, I'm praying that God would strengthen you in your inner self uh, through his spirit so you could get something, so you could grasp, grasp something. And uh, so what is he praying for? Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. You could realize how real and present he is. Verse, and it goes, and it goes on. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love. And that's a key phrase. He says, as a follower of Jesus, when you first came to Jesus, it's as if God, like you're a young plant, God transplanted you and put you in the soil of his love. You began to realize God's love for you. That's how we start the Christian journey. Or to, to change the metaphor, if you're like a building, you're established in love. Your footings are laid, you're poured in love. So he says that's how we start the journey. That, um, that you're, uh, I pray that you, you're already rooted, you're already established in love. Now maybe have power together with all the saints, all the Christians, to grasp, catch this, how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. This is what I'm praying for you. I'm praying that God would open your spiritual eyes so you could realize how much God loves you. You're already Christians. You're already implanted in love. You've already been established in love. But I'm praying that God would empower you by his spirit that you could realize, understand the, the, the love of Christ. How wide it is. How deep it is. How broad, how long. You can understand the dimensions of the love of Christ. In fact, I love how he puts this in the Greek. Those four words, he says, I want you to know the platos, the makos, the hoopsos, the bathos. You hear that? You hear the rhythm of that? These are carefully chosen words. These are sound bites. He says, I want you to know the platos, the makos, the hoopsos, the bathos of the love of God. I want you to go deep in this. You just got to understand this love. Like, how much does God love you? And he goes on. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. By the way, when the Bible uses the word know, it always means know in a firsthand experiential way, not just a head knowledge thing. Okay? 
And so to know this love that surpasses knowledge. What's Paul saying? He's saying God loves you and you're never going to get to the end of it. You're never going to get to the end where, where you're like, okay, now I get it. There's always more. How much does he love you? Does he love you this much? Have you ever had a little kid? You know, it's like, how much do you love me, Dad? Do you love me this much? Oh, yes, I love you that much, you know. Well, do you love me this much? Yes, I love you. Dad, do you love me this much? That's what Paul is saying. You're never going to come to the end of the love of God. How much does God love you today? This is what Paul is pulling back and telling us the story behind the story. This is why in the Psalms, the psalm writers will put it like this. Your love, O oh God, reaches to the heavens. Have you looked at a telescope lately? Have you seen the depth of our cosmos that we haven't even discovered the end of? Right? Hundreds and millions of light years. Your love, O oh Lord, reaches to the heavens. How, how much do you love me? Paul says it's immeasurable. You're never going to get to a place in your life where God says, oh, that's too far. I don't love you that much. Let's back up the truck. You said this much, yes, this much, yes, this much, but not this much. Back it up. You see, there's a limit to my love. You see, it's immeasurable, Paul says. He says, man, I'm praying. I'm praying that God will open the eyes of your heart so you can just get it. You can experience this for yourselves. See, this is the thing is that no one else can experience the love of God for you. It's one of the most important lessons in our life. It transforms us, it changes, it shapes us, it makes us into new people. But no one can do it for you. Your parents can't do it for you. Your life group leader can't do it for you. Your spouse can't do it for you. Your pastors can't do it for you. Love doesn't work like that. You can't say to someone else, hey, I'd like to be in love, but I'm busy right now. Could you fall in love for me? You know, there's a girl over there. Just kind of fall in love with me and tell me about it. Like, love doesn't work that way. It's firsthand, right? And Paul says, man, I'm just praying for you that you come to know this love of God firsthand. Well, why? Well, he goes on. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, verse 19, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Hey, do you want to know God? Do you want to know God in your life? Paul says, you want to be filled up with God? You want to fully experience God? It's all about experiencing his love. And when we experience that love, it changes everything. It transforms all of life, and it changes us. Remember how John put it in 1 John? We love because he first loved us. See, that's the vision for this church, that we would become people who passionately love God and that compassionately love others. But see, we can't really love with this kind of amazing love until we've experienced it first. We don't have a model. We don't have a reference point. We don't have it to give. And so Paul says, man, we, I'm just praying for you Christians. It's just God will open your heart. He'll strengthen you so you can get this, how much God loves you. And you can experience it and be changed from the inside out by that love. And that love can flow out of you towards others. All right. So this is one of the, the things that we need to be praying for as a church. That God would be opening us up, teaching us about his love, that we could be a place where we experience this love of God. We're passionate about him, and because we've experienced it, we are passionate about others. And this church becomes a place where we go out into the community, out into our jobs, out into our neighborhoods, 
It's the love of God. It's the love of God. It's the love of God. We are taking the love of God for people that we've experienced has changed our lives and then we invite them back to grow in the love of God here and then we'll send us out again to love more people and then we come back here and like the waves of an ocean, we flow out, we flow in, we flow out, we flow in. With, we flow out with the love of God. We were back in the love of God. You see what I'm saying? That's what Paul's saying here. This is the heart of what it's all about. Okay, now number four. There's one last thing he wants to tell us, this passage. Then it goes like this, that God's love, it doesn't shield us from suffering. Now, this might come as a surprise. If you're a, first, if you're a new Christ follower, or you're just checking Jesus out, or Maybe for the first Christians in the church, if you only read Romans 1 to 4, this might surprise you. Because you think, okay, the war is over. That God has come after us with his passionate love. He's paid the ultimate price so we have a new relationship with God. We're no longer based on our performance. We're based on his, his love for us. And we've been forgiven. And we're God's kids and the future is bright. And so you'd expect the next line to say, and so in this life, God protects us from all suffering. But it's not what it says. It's like, that's right, Paul, isn't it? And then that's what we should, Paul, isn't that right though? Then we won't have to suffer anymore. We're God's kids now. And Paul says, actually, not so much. He says, this life, no, you are gonna suffer, but it's not because God doesn't love you. It's because he does love you. That he loves you too much to leave you the way you are. And suffering is often the fastest way to growth in our lives. Like, for example, like, if you would have come up to me when, when my daughters were young, and if God would have said to me, uh, 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 what do you want for, for your lives, your, your daughters? I would have said, man, I want them to be passionate Christ followers. I want them all in. I want them 100%. I want them using their gifts for your kingdom and loving people and loving you. And just, I, want them to be, I don't want them to waste their lives. That's what I want. And if he would have said to me, okay, Mike, I can do that, but in order to do that, it's going to require some hard times for them because they can never become that way without the hard times. They'll just, they'll just get kind of stuck in this life and they'll forget about this life, about the next life, and, and they're just going to get, they're going to waste their lives. And so it's going to take some pain to help them grow. So it's your choice. What do you want to do? And it would have been a hard decision. Because no one likes to see their kids suffer. But there's not a question in my mind what I would have said. I said, God, could you just go easy and only do the things that you absolutely have to do? But I want my kids loving you, right? Okay, now if that, as a human father, what I'd say, can you see how much more your heavenly father says that over your life? See, he didn't create you to be mediocre. <laughs> he created you to be great, Great in your passion for him. Great in your love for people. And he is not going to let you wallow in mediocrity. He is going to allow the hard times to come. Why? Not because he doesn't love you, but because he does. He loves you just as you are, and yet he loves you too much to let you stay that way. And so he will come after you, and sometimes hard times will come. So he can shape you to be like his son, which is the very best gift he could give us, and to focus you on your future and the next life, to make that clear. And so when we go through hard times, it's our first instinct to say, God, do you love us? 
But the answer, Paul says, is yes, it's because he loves us, he allows us to go through this. And so the apostle Paul stands back and he says, so let's talk about this story. We were once lost. We were once God's enemies, but the war is over. We've got this new relationship with God. It's a relationship of peace. We stand in grace. But the story behind this story of the whole human story is about a God who loved us too much to let us go. A God who pursued us and continues to pursue us and will continue to pursue you till the day you die because he has a plan for your life. And he's not gonna let go. He loves you too much. There's always a story behind the story. And in this case, the story is a story of love. Let's pray. Father, and what an amazing passage. God, one, something that would never would have never would have guessed the history of the world, that the God who created the world would become one of us and let us have our way with him in order to win us back. And God, we just pray that this church, you would unleash on this church a mighty work of your love. God, we pray for the church here at Rocky Peak. We pray for our lives, God. We cannot open our lives our eyes to these spiritual truths we've been talking about. That's why Paul prayed to you for it. We ask that you would open our eyes so we might know the height and the depth and the width and the breadth of the love of God. And that we might be transformed and that we might become passionate lovers not only of you but of other people. And this place might be transformed into a center and a powerhouse of love where people will be transformed and changed by the living God. So God, that's our prayer. We don't have time to go through the motions here. We don't have time to waste our life. We don't have time to be just another church. God, we want to be part of what you're up to in the history of the world. And we pray that you would unleash your love on this place in a new way. You'd wake us up to that love a love that's willing like you were even to suffer if that's what it takes in order to bring others to you. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.